Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curve, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curve. My panel, William Clouston, the leader of the Social Democratic Party, Joanna Williams, author and academic, and Kevin Craig, the Labour councillor and CEO of PLMR. And you know the drill on Jubes and Co by now. It's not just about us here. It's about you at home as well and your thoughts. What is on your mind tonight? You can drop me an email, gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at gbnews. Don't forget, of course, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our YouTube page. Uh, all the best bits are on there, which means, obviously, Jubes and Co. We've got an app. Have you got that? Um, yes, I use that. I like it. We're on the radio, DAB+. And we're all over social media. Uh, TikTok as well. I'm going to have to start using that one of these days. I don't think I'm trendy enough, but uh, I promise I am going to try it one of these days, just not today. Uh, but if you're on there, you can search GB News, and we are indeed there as well. Right, our top story during a speech in Australia this morning, the director of GCHQ, that's a mouthful, uh, said Jeremy Fleming has warned that the world faces a period of generational upheaval in the face of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the rise of China. He says the pandemic, the profile and dominance of technology in cyber, the role of China, the end of the Afghan campaign, and now Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Any one of these could be viewed as a historic shift, but taken together, they add up to a period of generational upheaval. The economic, societal and ge geopolitical consequences are still playing out and will do so for decades to come. Uh, what do we reckon then, William? Are we facing a generational upheaval? Do we need to be worried? Um, I don't think we should be worried. I think that's not the proper reaction to it, but it's certainly a, an upheaval. Um, he called it a, a moment of reckoning. It was a good little speech. It's worth, worth reading. Um, he's right that the pandemic uh, has sort of exacerbated these things. Obviously, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is, is, a, is a major crisis. But the slow burn on this is the rise of China. Um, I think these events taken together are a sea change. And I think the West, and I think Britain in particular, is, is strategically exposed. And I think the cause of this has been sort of 30 years, more than 30 years, actually, of sort of global free trade utopian ideology. Uh, we've neglected our own industries. We have these massive supply lines all around the world. We don't, we don't care about what's made here. And the pandemic, I think, uh, exposed that. We were very vulnerable. And I think the cure to this is a more domestic focus and a proper industrial policy. You need to think about, you need to care about what is made, where and by whom, and under what conditions it's made. Yeah. So I think you'll get uh, a shift away from a very naive sort of free trade ideology. We've had that for too long, it's not worked. Uh, I think we need to shift to a more domestic focus. I think we can do it if we roll our sleeves up. Yeah, I do think it's interesting because everyone seems to call for kind of domestic uh, produce and consideration of what we produce, where and how. And then on the next hand, everyone just wants the cheapest thing possible. So there's a real contradiction there. But anyway, Kevin, your thoughts? Well, I think uh, William's right in that um, we need to make more in our own country. That was one of the, the big conclusions from this important speech from one of our leading uh, members of the security service, services. In this speech, which he delivered, Michelle, he also said something which I really can rally behind. He talked about... Um, 
the pandemic, the human costs and the amazing work of the scientists and medics leaving us in a much better place. And the experience of the pandemic has helped us to learn painful lessons about national security. Mm. So um, I think he's right. I think it's really interesting these days that our top spooks have a much higher public profile. Um, and I do think that he, the message here about the, the next generation needing to realise we're at a moment of massive change is true. Because a few years ago, Russia was our mate as in a combined war against aspects of terrorism. Uh, conveniently, I would say many people from all sides in politics ignored aspects of, you know, dirty money. And, and, and he, in this speech, is asking us to look again. But very good point by William, that we need to, to make more for the good of our own country. Yeah, Joanna? Well, I think one of the main um, things that people have picked up on in this speech is the way he's been pointing to the weaknesses that have been exposed in Russia uh, with the Russian army. I mean, clearly, it seems that Putin expected to be able to roll into Ukraine and conquer the entire country within 48 hours, and things have clearly not gone to plan. Um, but, but again, as, as, he, as uh, Sir Jeremy Fleming points out in his speech, we, we can't afford to just relax and sit back and say, well, you know, this has exposed the Russian weaknesses because at the same time as it's done that, it's exposed our weaknesses in the West as well, um, both in terms of military weaknesses. You know, what, what kind of army do we have in this country now that international <coughs> politics is, is yeah. back on the agenda? We've let our own military budget kind of decline yes. year on year, and perhaps we need to revisit that now. But also in terms of energy, um, I was pleased to see in your news report that, that we're not going to be concreting over uh, the fracking wells that we've got going in this country. It doesn't mean to say we're restarting starting them, we're just not concreting yeah, over I think, them I think that's now. a sensible decision right oh, now. definitely, no, do, yeah. definitely. But I think all of those things we have to look at again. Kevin, look well, at Kevin. What's wrong it. with that? Why is everybody on this panel tonight relaxed about fracking? Come on. Well, I'm not re relaxed about fracking necessarily, nor do I think that fracking is the immediate answer to our immediate problems, because uh -huh. it's not an immediate switch, there you go, you've got gas. Yeah. But what I am uh, relaxed about, excited about, encouraged about, is keeping your options open. Yes. I think in such uncertainty, reducing your options Concreting wells is quite frankly silly. And one thing I, is that I'm very, very relieved about is that unlike Germany and France, we are not quite so dependent upon Russian gas. So yes. the Russians yeah. are now turning around and saying, you know, we want to be paid in rubles and putting all Agreed. kinds of conditions. It's, it's very important. And we're looking, yeah. we're not caught up D in that. Domestic, that's, that's, yeah, it's something, these are things which politicians 40, 50 years ago knew about. They thought about domestic. So, you know, security and resilience yeah. in terms of energy and food as well. These are things, as I say, we've forgotten all about. We don't think it matters. And it doesn't occur to the people that have been running our energy policy the last 20, 30 years that actually the balance of payments matter as well. If you import all your energy, you're just wrecking your balance of trade. We haven't had a balanced, in goods anyway, we haven't had a balanced uh, surplus since, since uh, the 80s. I th I th the th what I would just say to the three of you, though, is that um, on, on fracking, What's happened in Ukraine is terrible, but wouldn't it be a shame if these events led us to take measures or positions that are basically bad for a planet we're trying to protect? I agree, but if we wanted to... I agree with that, but I think... Remember with fracking, these are, we, we, we have very short-term government here, so what they're doing is reacting to something and saying yeah. we'll do that. Remember, fracking will take many, many years to come on. Nuclear will take many, many years to come on. Probably the small... Uh, nuclear units they're looking at will take 10 years. This should have been done 25 years ago, but it wasn't. Fair point. The sooner you do it, the better. Nuclear in particular, that is the Agreed. key to it. Get, get behind it, put your mm -hmm. shoulder behind it, invest in it, 
and it'll yeah. be better for... Yeah. The one thing that we've learned on the cost of living crisis is that if we'd done what the French had done and invested in nuclear properly, nuclear power, the price of that doesn't fluctuate. It's a long-term, it's a 60-year investment. It doesn't fluctuate at all. If you want secure power for your country, that's what you would do. Well, we've talked a lot about how our nuclear power and fracking can't just be turned on and off at the flick of a switch, and I completely agree with that. But I think we've got to remember that the same is also true for, for climate, as not fracking tomorrow is not going to automatically bring about a reduction in global temperatures. The climate changes over periods of hundreds of years. That, that's the timescale that we're looking at with climate change. And sometimes when we think about people who are going to be suffering in the very, very short short term, we give the impression or we risk giving the impression that decisions we're making about the climate will kind of protect these people tomorrow. No. They won't. Climate change is not something that can be turned on and off no. um, with a decision made about fracking. And we're 1% but, of global emissions. Yeah, but, exactly. but we have to... I, I thought there was a general consensus that we have to start, you know, uh, to turn around centuries of damage, centuries of overheating of the planet, and that actually... Um, if you can go for more nuclear, uh, hydrogen, solar, renewable wind, that's the way forward for our country. Yeah. And as an island nation, we're well placed. I think that's right. But we've, all, all, we've already, you know, gone a long way down this road by deindustrializing. And that's, that's, I think it was a terrible error. And I think it's false because the countries that are bilging CO2 out to, to buy, to produce goods that we buy... We're pretending that we're doing something that we're not. But I do quite. find it fascinating, by the way, Kevin, because you and I have um, done this panel a few times now. Um, you know, you talk about the environment and protecting the environment mm. and, you know, let's not rush to make changes that might damage the environment yeah. in response to an activity such as Ukraine. But you're a massive advocate of masks, for example. Look at the things that these... The yeah. disposable of masks... Course, of course, of course they was. doing to the, the environment? They had to save lives. There was a pandemic on and masks were an important part of that. Uh, before we got to the point where the, the population is so well vaccinated by the scientists that the head of GCHQ praised here, the amazing work, masks, I agree with you, it was terrible. We saw them chucked away everywhere on the street, of course, but we were saving human lives at that point. Come on, what, were those flimsy disposable masks <laughs> yes. that people used to wear about 27 times, yeah. pulled out of the pocket, are covered we, in food and all that? Hang on, are we, de are we denying that masks helped pr um, reduce transmission um, of COVID, are we? I will say that the way that people have used oh. these disposable masks multiple times over, rummaging around the bottom of their bag with God only knows what stuck to them, half on their nose, half on their chin. I am not a scientist, but I would anticipate that the impact of reduction uh, of transmission was negligible like the way wet, that people use those masks. The, yes. well, we'll They're like wet wipes. They wet wipes. Ask anyone at Thames Agreed. They should but, be banned. Yeah. I, think, I think the point, going back, just going back to Sir Jeremy <clears throat> Fleming's speech for a second, though, when mm. he talks about a generational upheaval, I think really it's about far, you know, so much more than about COVID and even, mm. dare I say, it about the energy crisis, mm. although how we responded to both of those things mm. are definitely part of this. But I think it's really about international kind of geopolitics is. being back on the scene mm -hmm. um, after 30 years or so, where, yeah. when we've all become very complacent and just assumed, well, the Cold War's over. And I tell you, the thing that really concerns me is whether our political class as a whole are actually up to the task of this generational upheaval. When you look at some of the technocrats that we've got actually mm. running the country, I won't name names, but I'm sure everybody... Of course can... they're not up to the job. Joanna, we've got like leaders who? in... Well, I can give you an example on, right mate. now. Go uh, we've got a leader of the opposition that cannot determine whether a woman has <laughs> yeah. a penis. 
Now, if you want to lead, is. if you want to lead a country and you want to deal with all of the complex, uh, interrelated complexities, international, monetary, economic, oh, yeah. and you cannot even answer a simple, <laughs> basic biology question that a five-year-old could yeah. answer, yeah. I would personally say you're not up to the job. Well, so there you go. That's when an example. Well, when Starmer, well, I've got, got to yeah. come back to Michelle yeah. on this because uh, she was tweeting yesterday about why can't Keir Starmer answer a question that a five-year-old could answer? What he was doing, he should have been clearer. He was trying to be sensitive to to people struggling with their identity. But, of course, he needs to sharpen up the message. Rachel Reeves was doing it this morning. The most important characteristics are biology, what you're born with at birth, breast, vagina, whatever. He needs to be clearer. He was trying to be sensitive and kind. But Starmer can't, Starmer can't protect and represent women's interests if he doesn't know what a woman is. And literally, when, he, when he talks about women... He doesn't know what he's talking about. He does about. know what women is. He's married with two kids. Of course no, he, he does. doesn't. He can't even define he it. Know. He can't even define but, it. But to be honest, pretending he doesn't know in the interest of sensitivity, is that, is, I actually find that a bit worse. It, mm. it just comes across as incredibly patronising. Mm. You know, so we all know he knows what a woman is. We all know he's married. We all know he's got kids. Uh, so the fact is that he goes through this charade of pretending. Uh, it just, but it's the whole political class. It's, Sunak is just exactly, as bad. They're, exactly. You know, they, they save us well, a lot of the time. you're the Class. They, about no, the established, the established, the established political class. That is the problem. They, they, there's not actually very much difference on this very issue. Very little difference between them. But um, by the way, have we all concluded on this panel then that the future is to be more um, domestic? Uh, domestic. Yeah. Have we concluded that? No. To be less reliant upon no. externals we've in never, a land of uncertainty. I tell you what, Michelle, we've never needed. Uh, NATO more than we do now, and international cooperation is going to keep this country safe. So I'd say... Oh, no. Well, I, I think I, the era of globalisation has really been called into question. Um, when you look at... I mean, William was making this point earlier, the amount of cheap stuff we kind of have, have continued to import from China and our reliance on supply chains globally, you know, actually quite calling that into question I, I think, think is not a bad thing at all. I think we need to be very, very close to other liberal democratic states like Australia and, and the states and others. And I think, look at an, a perfect example of these value divides globally is uh, the international community's reaction to the Russian invasion. No condemnation from China, none from India, no problem from South Africa and Brazil. They continue to trade with them. The, what we're seeing is the end of sort of Pax Americana, the end of the post-war uh, arrangements which, which, which this country helped to put in place. That's yeah. breaking down. I think you'll see much more bilateralism. But you need to hug democracies very close. Yes. Hug democracies very closely. Well said. Um, as part of the speech today, by the way, one of the concerns was about the rise of China. Uh, in the next sentence, though, it's all about further and deeper sanctions of Russia. Now, surely most people can understand that an unintended consequence of this is you are going to be pushing Russia deeper into bed with China. And then where will we end up? Let me know your thoughts on all of this, by the way. You can email gbviews um, at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at gbnews. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about domestic abuse. Priti Patel has launched her plan uh, because over 2 million people experienced domestic abuse just in England and Wales, by the way, last year. So what do we do about this? She's got a few ideas, but will they work? I'll see you in a couple of minutes. of you have been getting in touch. Uh, Madge says, why are we not allowed to invest in digital assets through our pensions? Hmm, got to say, I don't know the answer to that, Madge. 
we'll try and get you an answer. In fact, actually, I want to do a whole segment on the future of this country. We talk about cashless societies, uh, digital IDs. There's a whole kind of strand there for a future programme, so Madge, I shall bear your question in mind. Um, Rob says, do you remember all the models that predicted the death rate on the pandemic? The same models are being used for climate change and the government are making long-term policies on these models. Steve says, Michelle, can you ask the panel how the UK being net zero saves the planet when our total world contribution is so low it wouldn't make any noticeable difference? <laughs> yeah, I think we emit something like 1% of uh, the emissions, don't we? In China, something like 28. I mean, I'm testing my own memory on the um, figures here. But yes, I think your point is, Steve, we don't really make that much of an impact. So why are we suffering uh, so much as a result? Kevin is exhaling beside me, I can tell you now. Do you think we should have a referendum, by the way, Kevin, on net zero? I'll ask you that question. Uh, why not? I'll, uh, you might find it a surprise for me to say this. I generally like referendums, Michelle. You know, you? If you ask people a question, you've got to respect it. Same with Brexit. I didn't like the result, but once you ask the country, you had to implement it. And uh, I think politicians don't often enough defer back to the people. Mm, well, there you go. What about that? Do you think we should have a net zero referendum? Um, you know, I think if there was one, I don't think it would go ahead. I'd be fascinated by the outcome. If there was one tomorrow, let's be hypothetical, would you vote to uh, go for it, net zero, or against it? Depends what the question is, Michelle. The question would be really simple. Do you think we should achieve net zero by 2030? No, no, the question should be, do you want to save the planet and your children's futures? Oh, that's, God. That's what we do. Come off it. There you go. It was quite, I think my question was much better, and I think people would answer no to that. Kevin, uh, I would say to Kevin, if you're so bothered about saving the planet, why are you, uh, why are you advocating? 129 billion uh, disposable masks being pumped out into the environment every single month. That's what I'd say. Anyway, around and around we go. Uh, Home Secretary Priti Patel has launched a new plan to tackle domestic abuse. Domestic abusers will be placed on a register like sex offenders so that their new partners are informed by police about their violent past. <coughs> Any convicted abuser will be required by law to tell police if they move house or set up, say, a joint bank account with a new partner. And failure to register or report changes could see abusers facing jail time. Uh, according to the national statistics, by the way, over 2 million people uh, are victims of domestic abuse last year alone, just in England and Wales. Got to say, this register is just one uh, aspect of a whole plan of measures, including uh, increased funding to domestic abuse headlines, uh, electronic tagging for perpetrators, uh, something that I think is really important, actually. More investment in... Uh, teaching of healthy relationships to people and what that actually looks like. Because if you have been a victim of domestic abuse as a child, sometimes it's very hard to know what a healthy relationship looks like. Uh, Joanna Williams, you've seen Priti Patel's uh, ideas. Do you think they go far enough in tackling domestic abuse? I'm not convinced they will work, um, is one answer to that question. Um, I think the register idea, for example, I mean, it depends upon, even though it's written into law that, that men could be punished if they don't, I'm, I'm saying men, obviously women can be domestic uh, abusers as well as uh, victims of domestic abuse, but it's relying on perpetrators signing up to this register, not, for example, changing their name by deed poll or looking for loopholes to wrangle out of it. But also it depends upon potential victims checking a register at the point at which they get together with a new partner. And I'm just not convinced that that's something that people generally do. If you're in love and you're kind of newly starry-eyed, you don't tend to rush off to a police station to check 
whether your partner is on a register of domestic abusers, you know, and, and I'm, I worry that it actually puts pressure on, I'm going to say women, because it is women who generally are the victims, it puts pressure on women men to do Men can be that. too, of Well, course. of course, men can be too, but it puts pressure on the victim, if you like, to, you know, why did you get yourself in this position? Why didn't you go down and check the abuse register? At the point at which someone is being abused, it tends to be too late. They're, they're trapped, you know, and it's very difficult to then, the register just confirms there was suspicion. So what are you saying then, no register? Well, I think there are other ways that we need to look at this problem. I mean, for one thing, you know, rates of domestic abuse, you were quoting the statistics from last year, rates did go up hugely because of lockdown. You know, lockdown essentially trapped people who were in abusive relationships in the home with the perpetrator of that abuse. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing Priti Patel could have done usefully would be to say we will never ever put women or vulnerable children for that matter in that position ever again. You know, that was a really shocking thing. And again, it was quite clear quite early on that that was likely to be one of the consequences. And yet still lockdown policies continued. You know, before lockdown though, rates of domestic abuse were actually coming down. And the big thing that's really enabled rates to come down is women's economic freedom. I'm not on about looking year on year here, but actually looking back over a period of, of several decades. It's women's increased economic freedom, their capacity to to be able to leave a relationship, to be able to get a new house, a new home, to be able to walk away from an abusive relationship that actually gives women, empowers women to be able to leave abusive situations. My biggest worry at the moment is with this cost of living crisis, that in effect is going to trap more people, force people to have to stay with a partner who's abusing them. But the very fact that we've switched the language from talking about domestic violence to domestic abuse, you know, suggests that we we are dealing with a slightly different problem than the one we were dealing with a few decades Kevin. ago. Well, I mean, in short, Michelle, I, I, I think uh, it's important that when a government does something good, that people from all parties should get behind it. And I think I'm really pleased at uh, this plan that Priti Patel has launched. I'm so sick of uh, hearing about men's abuse of and violence against women. Uh, and you know, notwithstanding that the things can always strive towards perfection, as Joanna has inferred, you know, good on the government today for launching this. Uh, it's better than doing nothing, and I applaud it. Wow, we're feeling all right. I'm feeling very well. I might need to lie down. I might need to record that and play yeah. it back. Right, so, uh, William. I'm going to add to that. I think I read the report. I think it's it got a lot to commend it, actually. If they implement everything in this, it certainly will help. Um, as regards uh, a register, I think, it, I think it would be useful. I think a lot of victims have asked for it as well. Yeah. And remember, a lot of, uh, on a lot of occasions, these things start very, very slowly. You get into a relationship and then things start going wrong. And actually, it's at that stage sometimes, if there were a register, you could have a look at it and say, OK, I'm not going to take this any further or whatever. And if it's, if it's there, it might help. I think that's very good. There's a lot of good education uh, proposals as well. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I'd get behind it. I'd echo um, Joanne's point about Joanna's point about the lockdowns, though. Uh, I think Joanna wrote a, a good piece. I remember reading uh, when you when you have a situation where you deny people people's right to get out of a flat, and you say you've got a half an hour window, and you you're encouraging your fellow citizens to spy and report you. It didn't occur, and Joanna made this point. It didn't occur to a lot of people that the person taking an extra 
half an hour in the park might need to get out of the house. They might need. They might have needed to get out. So all of these things are, are related. But I think in general, the report itself I'd welcome, and uh, I think it'll probably make a difference. Yeah, one of the things that I think we really need is more uh, investment in actual refuges. So I see that they're talking here about the National yeah. uh, Domestic Helpline, and that's really uh, good. I don't knock that at all. But ultimately, if you're in a domestic abuse situation, you have to be able to flee somewhere because it's all well and good talking about, you know, registers. And by the way, I do actually agree that you should have these people on the registers. As I said earlier, I'd tattoo the hand or something so you can spot a mile off who these people are. Because if you can do to someone that you're supposed to love, you can do that to someone more often than not in their own home. Then I dread to think what else you're capable of. And I want to know who you are from a million miles away so that I can avoid you. Mm. But you need to, once you've worked through that process in your own mind and you've reached the decision to leave, you've got a real kind of window of time there where you've got mm. to capitalise on that decision, mm. capitalise on that momentum and get that person, the children, whoever it is, out of the house and into safety. Mm. And one of the things that I think is such a shame in this society, actually, is that we turn so many people away from refugees mm. because to muster up that courage and yes. leave mm. and to have nowhere to go... It really... You've got obviously. to have a route. You've got to have roots and investment in this is very important. As I say, if they do everything, this will help. It's easy to say, well, on a particular point, you might have a different view, but I think it's to be welcomed. Yeah, you, you wouldn't know. stick a tattoo on them, seriously, though, would you? <laughs> would you? Come on. Probably would. I won't put anything past me, quite frankly. <laughs> okay. Have you seen some of the things that these people do to other people? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've spent a lot of time uh, in and around domestic violence refugees. Mm. I've seen, I will never forget, ever, I will never forget seeing a woman, this is years and years and years ago, and she had one eye, mm. and her other eye had been gouged out by her partner yeah. with a screwdriver. Mm. Now, I am sorry... Mm. But if you are capable of doing that, I want to know who you are so that I can avoid you like yeah. the plague. Well, you, you, you need that person to be safely behind bars for a long, long time. Indeed. That's the point. I mean, yeah. we'll and, get on to this later. And, you know, I, I've got to say as well, we spoke earlier on about Ukraine and things like that. It's been really heartwarming, you know, to see all these people desperately rush to open their homes to people, women and children over in Ukraine that are at risk. There are so many women and children, and by the way, yes, I know it's not just women and children that are uh, victims of this. I know men get uh, abused as well, but predominantly it's women and children. And there are so many women and children that could do with a safe space, a safe mm. haven, just getting away from their lives. And I wish that lots of the people that have kind of been galvanised and motivated now to open up their homes and their space would perhaps be open-minded about opening their homes yeah. and their space up to people in this country that need but, help but and it's support. the problem with that is that what what gets done often is what is on the news and this right. is naturally just to, to broaden it mm. uh, in terms of violence against women and girls a national scandal in Rotherham the J report you know t 2014 it's still happening and you speak to people in Rotherham and what we're about now the grooming the, yeah grooming gangs and, and and because you know basically very little was done and then too late mm. and it depends it, it's all about what gets attention who is backing action but, you know, um, but it's also about who gets listened to and yeah. who gets believed. And it always happens that uh, some people's voices are heard kind of louder than yeah. others. Some, some victims even are deemed more worthy of national attention than mm. others. Yeah. But I think this point you're making about a safe space is absolutely crucial. And again, sorry to kind of bring this back to the same issue we were talking earlier, but I do think for women in particular who are escaping a situation of domestic violence, they do need the guarantee of safety that they're going to be in a single-sex space yes. only alongside 
gender the women and I think mm. there are real this is one area in particular where there are real dangers of gender self-identification if you go into a, a domestic um, refuge you know you you need to know that you're not going to be bumping into a man you know when you go to that, the loo or go to the shower with, with all due respect right that is a brilliant segue you've just done there because the actual the, 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 this horrific issue of violence and abuse against women is not really linked to the gender identification stuff because it's it's actually just there are too many men right committing violence and abuse and and we might come back to that but the point is it's a good point about refugees Michelle there's a there's a tragedy in this country we've got so many empty properties we had them already mm. you know so many I mean what it's just immoral. We've also got a housing crisis. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I do just want to pick up on your point, by the way, because safe spaces for vulnerable women uh, are, are something that has really been quite hard fought for. And I personally believe the protection of those spaces should be equally hard fought for. I think it's essential that vulnerable women have a place uh, that they can Agreed. go, that they feel safe. Uh, by the way, we ran a poll, uh, well, it's running actually as we speak, on our Twitter account asking you, do you think there should be a register for domestic abusers? Uh, almost 80% of you yeah. so far say yes, you sensible people. Yes. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. Uh, lots of you, by the way, getting in contact about that last topic and a theme that's really coming through uh, loudly is so many of you are pointing out uh, that men are the victim of domestic abuse as well. Uh, I hope I did manage to land that point because I completely agree with you. I mean, you, some of you are sending through statistics and I've got to say, uh, I'm surprised it's kind of as high as some of you are suggesting. Uh, and it's really concerning that that is the case. Mel, for example, has written in and said, my son was beat repeatedly. His face was pretty much ripped apart by his partner's nails and her teeth. Would he be able to get help with getting hair on the register? Well, Mel, what I say is if you're a domestic abuser, I don't care what gender you are, if you uh, hurt the person that you're supposed to love, you've got a problem. And I absolutely think that you should be on that register, whatever your gender or your sex is. But yeah, lots of you getting in touch saying that you have yourself witnessed domestic abuse whilst you were a child, uh, or indeed uh, a male, you're now an adult and you're saying you've experienced it as well. Uh, it's just awful. Like I said, I do believe that uh, domestic abuse is a cancer on society and we've got to try and root it out. And I think a big key part of that is uh, relationship, uh, training, teaching, guidance, I don't know what you call it, because when you're a child and you see that cycle, you don't know what a healthy relationship looks like. So then when you start kind of orientating yourself into relationships, you repeat bad uh, examples sometimes, which is not good. Uh, right, let's move on, shall we? Over, over in Scotland, uh, they're proposing to get rid of jail time for those aged 16 and 17. What do you think to this? Uh, my panel, by the way, in case you're just tuning in and wondering who it is that's joining me, William Clouston, who's the leader of the Social Democratic Party, Joanna Williams, the author and academic, and Kevin Craig, who's the Labour councillor and CEO of PLMR. Now, uh, this topic then, this Scottish uh, justice system topic, this is quite a key reform, actually, because it's looking at children who commit criminal offences wouldn't be sent to Young Offenders Institute. In Scotland, ministers unveiled the proposals to end the custody of 16 and 17-year-olds in favour of what they call care-based alternatives. Ministers say the change will shift the approach from one of punishment to one of love and support. 
Hmm, I'll start with you, I think, on this one, Kevin. What's your thoughts on this? Well, Michelle, uh, at first read, um, this story uh, is very worrying because I, I'm, I'm a very um, victim-first kind of person when it comes to law and order. Um, I'm more worried about victims. I'm more worried about police officers who put their li lives on the line than I am about criminals in speech marks. My, I did wonder, though, you know, if this has been brought forward by experts, will it ultimately, and I think all of us, I'm guessing on this panel, will get wound up, most of all you, when you see an announcement that talks about... I don't know what you mean. Well, listen, <laughs> listen to this, right? When you see the announcement talks about, um, you know, 16, 17-year-olds convicted of serious crime, sometimes murder, um, and their human rights being breached, well, immediately we'll all go, hang on a minute, what about the, the rights of their victims? So yeah. I, I really feel that. Mm. But I'm, I'm wondering, is there anything in that, that where this has been looked at and they're trying to ultimately get the best outcomes for society? Are they trying to, to as well as punish people, reform them? I'm just asking the question. Well, if I can jump in there, yeah, sorry, because I think this is a story where language is so important yet again, because if we talk about children going to prison, for me, that, that personally, I kind of think, oh, no, that's wrong. You know, why would you have children in a prison? But when you're talking about someone who's 17 in a young offenders institution, it changes your whole perception of this story. And I think, you know, if there are problems with young offenders institutions, then we need to make them better. Mm. You know, they need to have a focus on education and on rehabilitation. But that's the problem. It's They don't need more love. You know, they don't need to put children in homes where they're just going to be hugged. They need proper education, proper rehabilitation and some of them will need locking up for mm. the protection of other people in society that's a sad fact of life one, one other thing I'd just add to this though is I think you know for some reason the SNP seem to be so confused about what actually is a child and what actually is an adult so I if think I'm, the SNP is confused about a lot, oh, well, a lot of yeah. things but yes. if I'm right you know they want 16 year olds to be able to vote they think four-year-olds should be able to choose their own gender in school, but they don't think 16- and 17-year-olds should go to prison even mm. for, or a young offenders institution even for having committed a murder. I, I mean, to me, those things just don't compute. You know, either 16-, 17-year-olds are able to make decisions like who should run the country, in which case they can take responsibility if they've committed a crime, or they think 16-, 17-year-olds are children, in which case they should not be able to vote in elections. William? Should should 16 or 70 year olds be locked up? Uh, I think the the answer to the question depends on what they've done and depends what to what extent they're a danger to society. There are many people in that category who would be a danger to society. I think I'm not impressed at all by this drift towards uh, disparaging the the merits of incarceration. Incarceration works. Prison works. You a lot of people are put in prison because they are a danger to society, and that's exactly where they should be. Uh, this isn't. This is something we knew yesterday that we're sort of uh, in inclined to sort of forget. Uh, it, it, Kevin says the the experts, some experts may have said, well, let's not lock these tearaways up. Well, they might say that, but it, that sort of. When I read this report, I was thinking it, rem it reminded me of the um, the old joke about the two sociologists walking down the, the the road and they see someone bloodied and battered in the gutter, and one sociologist says to the other, "We must find the person that did this." and and help them. Well, and on they walk, you know, and this is the problem. Do you know, you, you said a second ago that you thought there'd be, like, kind of no one more outraged at some of this stuff than me. Oh. When I read this, I was immediately catapulted. I'm old enough to remember 
Jamie Bulger, yes. the murder yes. of Jamie Absolutely. Bulger. Yes. And, you know, more so, actually, I think about that more so now, because I've got a little boy around about the same age as what Jamie Bulger was. And we'll all remember, well, if you remember the story, you'll remember, of course, the mm. two people that did that were very young children. Mm. And a lot of society was quite divided about, you know, what, how do you punish these children? My reaction is you get them locked away. You never let those people out because that is beyond the realms of evil. So I kind of come at it from that perspective, yeah. right? But then when I think about this story, these reforms are part of something called the promise. And the promise is all about looking at the lives of people in the care system in Scotland. Mm. So then I think if you're a child that's in care, so you're not from, like your many people watching this, they've come from normal homes, yeah. if, for want of a better word. If you're, I don't know, the child of a heroin addict, that's all you've ever known is abuse, you're shoved into the care system, you don't know what being normal and right and proper is. So you're mm. on the wrong path from day one. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that when it comes to things like the Jamie Bulger murderers, et cetera, this excuses them, because it doesn't. I've just explained what I do with those two. Um, but I'm talking about if someone's just on the wrong side of the tracks, mm. it does make me mm. soften a little bit, Kevin, because I think yeah. that these... Because, you know, when you're 16... Like yesterday, someone on the panel, by the way, a Labour, a fellow Labour councillor, she was telling me that Baby P's mum should be almost excused because she was from a chaotic lifestyle. You know, that doesn't wash with me. She's a grown adult, thank you. But yeah. when we're talking about children... Yeah. yeah, There is a little part of me, the soft part of me, that I don't want any child to be in care in this country, you know? I want all children to be loved and nurtured. And, that, and that's where I'm coming from, you know? No, no sort of compromise on, on, on victims' rights and, and law and order and our, and our police. But this point that you've picked up on, you know, in terms of what makes us... Uh, good people. Where do we learn our behaviours? And um, and so I, I I think it's not as black and white. Although aspects of this announcement will outrage others. You know, William, it's a good question. Does you said prison works? Mm. You know, I sometimes fear, uh, and I, I can't say it enough. You know, I can't bear um, uh, when people suffer from the actions of others. But in terms of scientifically. Is prison working and turning people around? I think well, for that's the, a life question. Well, it doesn't. Well, it, it, on, the, on the data, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. Criminals rehabilitate themselves because they get to 40 and they stop. That's what the data said. They stop. They, they basically yeah. stop committing crime. But if you speak to sergeants, if you speak to police in towns, mm. there are towns where tearaways 15 younger are responsible for a vast majority of the, of, of the crime in the town and they know who they are. And the idea that you can protect society by not locking them up, I just don't agree with. Well, Liam has emailed in and says, Michelle, I was a policeman for 13 years, and I can tell you now that some 16 to 17-year-olds could be serious criminals, and they would laugh at a society that wouldn't lock them up no matter what they right. do. So, I mean, that's Liam's kind of day job. Yeah. But there's prison and prison isn't there. And, I mean, I think there's a huge difference between putting a 17-year-old in a cell on their own, turning the key and leaving them on their own for 23 and a half hours a day, mm. which, again, you know, at risk of sounding like I'm just banging the same drum, was what happened a lot during lockdown. Mm. You know, that, that was the experience for many um, young offenders during lockdown 
isolation 23 and a half hours a day. There's a huge difference between that and being in a prison that does have a focus on training, on education, mm. on rehabilitation. Mm. And I think, you know, when you're talking about young offenders institutions, that should be the focus. You know, I, I would hate to write any 17-year-old off as being beyond rehabilitation at that, at that you, end. No matter what they've done? Yeah. Ideally, yes. I think, you know, you should hold out... Because if you say to a 16, 17-year-old, you know, you're completely beyond, beyond rehabilitation, what's the point of the rest of that person's life? But you see, you know, it might saying, be a long process. Those kids that, that murdered Jamie Bulger, for me, when you look at the details of what they did to that little boy, I don't think there should ever be any redemption for people like that. But you can, you can, you can be in a, in a town like Middlesbrough, you can stab someone, and that can be um, GBH. And well, you can. Sorry, I, and I don't, I don't think this is taken seriously enough. You've got to have a victim-focused yeah. approach, yeah. and you've got to protect society. Yeah. David says, uh, in Scotland, we now have to hug people then who commit violent crimes under the age of 18. What does that mean? That young people who commit rape and murder are given a custodial sentence? He says, Scotland is very quickly going to turn into a lawless society. He says, the people of Scotland must vote the SNP out. Ray says, young offenders have to learn to take responsibility for their actions and that there are consequences. Um, Stuart says, Boris, please come and save us in Scotland. <laughs> What's Ooh. he going to do? He's, he's about to get nicked himself, isn't he? Yes, <laughs> uh, he, he might. What's he going to teach yeah. anybody? Well, I'm astonished it's only taken you 53 minutes to bring that again <laughs> up. That's <laughs> a fair point. You Boris. You know, a fair point. He's a, he, you yeah. know, I, I don't think he's the person that we should listen to on Law & Order. It's the same guy who got recorded threatening to duff up a journalist. T tough on causes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tony says, don't judge criminals by their age, judge them by the crime they've committed and then act accordingly. Oh, their right. age doesn't affect the victim. That's exactly the well, kind of point yeah. we're trying to make here, Tony, yeah. uh, that it is all about, you know, what have you done? What is the impact on uh, the victims? Sharon, on the net zero thing, says, Michelle, the only way to have net zero is to have zero people. Oh, you know, don't, careful what you wish for, because... You know, at this rate, we'll all be take, getting taken over by robots um, in, in the not-too-distant future, I can tell you. Lots of you writing in, uh, many of you remember, of course, the situation about uh, Jamie Bulger. Uh, Kevin, let's have a look at what you're saying, Kevin. You're, well, I have to say, lots of you are writing in saying, Kevin said, the two boys who killed Jamie Bulger were just very damaged children themselves. How could normal children have ever have committed these types of crime? It's easy to condemn them now that they're grown men, but they were clearly damaged kids themselves. Kevin, I don't know how much of the details of that case that you've, that you've read. I mean, I read a lot. There's damaged, and then there's, you know, something seriously not quite right. And lest we forget, by the way, that when this, at least one of these people came out uh, and was involved in, I think it was child porn again, yeah. and back they went. Mm. Uh, these two people, by the way, have been granted a life of anonymity. Mm. I mean, can you imagine someone doing that to your child, right. mm. your child gone, and then the perpetrators yeah. get to be anonymous, mm. start their lives all over again? Yeah. No thanks. Anyway, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Uh, Joanna, Kevin, William, thank you. We didn't even get time to talk about Disney. Uh, Joanna was desperate to talk about that <laughs> one. Uh, they want to make sure that 50% of their characters are LGBTQIA+, uh, and from other minorities as well. I think I've added enough letters on there. Uh, right, we'll save that one for another day. Have yourself a fantastic evening, and I will see you tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co. the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.